Do you ever want to be a guest on a super cool podcast hosted by a glamorous power couple from their cutting-edge home studio on the outskirts of a major metropolitan world hub? Hollywood, anyone? Us, too. Until then, let's pretend. One of these days, you might get a DM, a PM, an EM, or even a message in a bottle inviting you to join my husband and I for an hour or two in our chat lab, working on solutions for all the world's problems. And when you are invited, there's only one response. Yeah, uh-huh. Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us on Yeah, Uh-huh. This week, we have author Evelyn Latore. Evelyn has lived a fascinating life full of travel and adventure. Her memoirs, chronicle her life in the Peace Corps, with which she journeyed to Mexico and Peru, and ultimately met her husband of over 50 years, Antonio. We hope you enjoy this hour with Evelyn on Yeah, Uh-huh, with Lisa and Phil. Hello. Hi. Hi. Is our camera on? Our camera's not on. Okay. We could put it on. Um... How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. I've got gardeners that are blowing out in front. They, I hope they've finished, and I hope it doesn't come through. This doesn't usually happen, but mm. uh, you'll tell me if the sound comes back. They just, I think they're done in the front, so. Yeah. Great. Um, yeah, we, uh, we've we got a bit of a, a personal connection um, in that um, towards the end, when you talk about your situation with your first child, yeah. uh, my mother was uh, pregnant in 1966 and I was born after I was born not too long after their wedding. <laughs> well, you know, I went back and looked at my grandmother's wedding date and the birth of her first child, my grandmother on my mother's side had 17 children, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the first one was born sooner than nine months. So mm-hmm. I, in my second book, I really go into more about my mother's, she's super religious and mm-hmm. she never could reconcile the fact that I got pregnant before marriage because that was so against mm. her rules but but her own mother had and I pointed that out to her one day and she wouldn't believe me so <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> no the child was just five months premature oh yeah, yeah. But, uh, to be fair you did it a little better than my parents did uh my parents were married in August and I was born in October so I was super <laughs> premature well, you know, all yeah. the movie star, the movie stars now have their children, and then maybe a couple of years later, or whenever the child can be a flower when they're girl, they're looking or, pretty. Yeah, when yeah, looking right, good, right. so they can wear the dress they want. Where are you located? We're in the Midwest. We're kind of uh, oh. we're in uh, actually Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, oh, okay, okay. So I'm right there in the and I quote heart of it all. Well, my editor who edited this this first book and half of the second book, uh, it lives in Columbus, Ohio now. So oh, okay. I, oh. I know We're only two hours away. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just us. artfully um, dodged having to go to Columbus last week at work. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, his not, company has a. Uh, he works in IT, yeah. and um, his company they basically have one central IT here in Cincinnati, and they do a lot of the IT work for all of their other locations. Which means he's had to go to Kansas, and uh, other of his coworkers have had to go to uh, Erlanger. You know, well, well, no, you go to Erlanger, no but. Um, they have some places up in uh, upstate New York, and uh, what's that one? I, I don't think that's our end. Well, oh. and, and then you do this for a hobby, do you? Um, yeah, the podcast is just something we enjoy doing. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to yeah. get into that actually. Um, uh-huh. on one of these episodes, you know, during yeah. the pandemic, uh, we just didn't get to see a lot of people. Yeah. So this seemed like a good way, you know, we'd like to engage after people. the podemic or yeah. pandemic. Oh, and is it seating six feet apart still? No, no. The restrictions have all been lifted. Yeah. Last week we went to a, um, a local, uh, I guess, double A or triple A game with a team uh, over in Kentucky called the Florence Yalls. And um, there's a backstory on that. We won't go into it, but uh, yeah, that was kind of fun. And almost no one there was masked. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. basically what it said was as we came in um if you if you've had the vaccines 
you don't have to wear a mask. And right. but they didn't card anyone. Right. So. And so the people without vaccines are going to go without masks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Because they're, it goes hand in they're hand, not planning right? yeah. it. And then, of course, a lot of people in Ohio have gotten vaccinated because of the million dollar. Uh, oh, that's right. You guys were the first ones to start that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that's, was worked our, well. that's worked well yeah. in a lot of places. Yeah. And I, um, you know, we're eligible for it if we sign up. We, we haven't signed up yet. I don't know. There's two more drawings, I believe, yeah. that we could be in on. But the odds of us actually winning are pretty, you know. Well, like lottery. Um, right. Yes. Well, then you can write your memoirs because yeah. that's what I did. At age yes. 59, I retired at 59 mm-hmm. and started traveling a lot, which yeah. will be my third book. It will be about all my travels to 100 countries. And then, um, yeah, and then I, I'm just getting the second one published this September. Oh, right. Excellent. Now, have you and your husband traveled together or? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, in the second book, I, I just was reading it to him yesterday and he made me stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's uh, very private and uh, yeah. mind that I write about him, but I don't think he wants to hear what I write, which, which is fine. That frees me up. But I mean, yeah. but I was just going through a list of how many times he didn't want to travel and then he started traveling and he's a great traveling companion and he knows more history. He's had better education right. history than I have. So, so yeah, it's been great. Well, that's great for us because we travel almost none. <laughs> we yeah. don't travel much at all. And it's like, I would travel more. She would. Yeah. Well, tell yeah. me, it, it sounds like you read Between Inca Walls. Did it mm-hmm. get a feel for the country? Yeah, it sounds amazing. And, um, so much more peaceful, so much easier. I mean, we live in an area that isn't, it's, it's fairly, it's what they call a, a small town, big city. Yeah. Right. You know, we've got that smile at people as you walk down the street. But you don't know um, everybody. Right. But you don't know everybody, you know, yeah. so you, you really grew up in a tiny little town and the right. way Cincinnati is structured, we have what they call like communities. So each community is almost a tiny little town in and of itself. Yeah. It identifies as part of Cincinnati. Well, where I live now in Fremont, it's like Mm -hmm. close to 300,000 now, I think. And I'm very much a minority. We have, oh, I think we've got like 40 languages that are spoken and they're all active in the community, all the immigrants and I probably several generations deep, but um, it's made up. It was five local areas that went together and formed one city. So Hmm. I'd like to say that each area has its own feeling of a little town, but it really doesn't. Although now we elect people, we elect people regionally. So, you know, from each area. Yeah. And like our councils, we have, um, for instance, uh, they're not really suburbs per se, but we have communities. So like Oakley, Hyde Park, they Hmm. have their own little councils their own little government situations and then they also answer to the city of cincinnati as well does each area have their own like fourth of july parade separate or do they some of them do not all of them some of them do and then the the situation with where we live which is actually norwood is that norwood is the largest incorporated entity in the united states that is completely surrounded by another incorporated entity Oh, that makes sense. So Norwood is a city yes, of its it own, does, but it's completely surrounded by Cincinnati, and it's literally nine square miles. It's almost a square. Yeah, because where I live, there was one area that did not want to join with the other five areas. So now our area surrounds them. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Norwood's kind of like the Germany of uh, Ohio. <laughs> you know, it's like surrounded on all sides, but yeah. not wanting to be part of any of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so I think we got a little outline here. You mentioned Peru, uh, mm-hmm. but let's let's kind of get get there first. Yeah. Let's, let's kind of start. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you were born in uh, North Dakota, actually. North I don't know if Dakota. I mentioned that. Yeah. In it's the- oh, you were born in North Dakota? Yeah, I was born in New England, North Dakota, which is a oh. small town. Oh, I guess that comes up more in my second book yeah. a little bit. Uh, and that's where all my uh, relatives lived. But of course, most of the kids my age, my cousins all migrated to Minneapolis. Mm. And um, the old folks pretty much stayed on the farm. Yeah, I was born there. But then when I was six, 
my well, probably five and six, my parents moved to uh, Montana because my father worked for the Milwaukee Railroad and he was a signal maintainer. And they're one of these mm-hmm. guys to make sure that the green and the, you know, that you don't get hit by a train. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, and so then, so I spent uh, all my elementary school time in this little town that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's funny because when you write a memoir, you start remembering all these things and then you make sense of them in today's language. And I, there were a lot of bullies in my class. I never, we yeah. didn't call them bullies. They were just mean guys. Yeah. And I think I do mention in the book that uh, one of them, I spent a time, I used to work a lot to earn money to buy the things I wanted as probably mm-hmm. people in small towns do. Yeah. And, and then one of them rode my new bike and broke the handlebars once. So anyway, that's oh. small town stuff. Oh. But now I wondered, you know, the lives. Yeah. Did you get that? Did you get reparation for that, or were no, you... no, no, no? Uh-uh. Oh no! See, no. my mother was a warrior. She would have. Uh, let me tell you. <laughs> well, I had a teacher. Her yeah. name was Evelyn, and I liked her so much that I started signing my name the same way she wrote Evelyn. <laughs> and uh-huh. to this day, I, I'd forgotten about that until I started to write about her. Yeah. And um, she kept the boys in our class in line. I, I admired her for, for doing that, but no, they, they did mean things. They did mean mm-hmm. things. There's, there's a couple chapters that my editor and I worked months on perfecting. And then I had to take it out cause it didn't fit, but it wasn't, I, I got to figure out where I'm going to put it, but it's yeah. where I was totally uh persona non grata in the school. I was totally, what do you call it? Disenfranchised. Uh, yeah, I, I was really people didn't want to associate with me. Yeah, um, but it was sad. a thing, and these boys were kind of uh, they were in on it too. So anyway, and I can imagine that being a smaller class year after year, that would be even harder. I know. Oh yeah, I no. Through, I went through something similar in that I was picked on a lot, but we moved a lot. I went to six different elementary schools. Uh-huh. My parents moved a lot. Um, uh, Whenever my mother was unhappy, she thought moving would make things oh, better. Yeah. Okay. yeah, bullying is such a yeah, is such it? a big problem. That's something you could really <laughs> well, you know, some, yes. do a good podcast on or a series oh, yeah. of podcasts. About yeah, this. if we do a bullying contact oh. podcast, would you like to be on it? Yeah, I would. And what I would do right. is I would send you these chapters that I perfected and then took out about the incident and. Yeah. Um, because I thought it was quite interesting. No, talk about small schools. In the very beginning of my book, I mentioned going over a little, uh, the water that ran in front of the school. And mm-hmm. I mentioned, you know, how many students there were because we were in multiple grades. Like I was in first, second, and third. That was all one class. And then fourth, fifth, and sixth and on up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we only had four teachers for the, for the kids there. Uh, but we, my parents at that time had five children and when we left, they closed the school. It took so many kids out of the school. They had to close the school down and they bust them to the nearest town, wow. which was a shame because the school was quite new. It was a nice brick school, mm-hmm. nice gymnasium and everything, auditorium, everything. We had everything. Uh, but uh, somebody bought it for the bricks and reused the bricks. So that's mm-hmm. that's the nice. Well, what happened is the railroad stopped, stopped, didn't stop there anymore. Um, I don't I can't I don't know. <laughs> history of the Milwaukee Railroad, but my father could see uh, that he was going to be out of a job before too long, and he didn't earn that much to begin with, and he had five kids, and he wanted, even though four of us at the time were girls, he wanted us to go to college, so he he got a job in California. Uh, He was was in the Navy, and so he had training as an electrician, and so he uh, worked for the Federal Aviation Agency for many years in California, and they moved when I was 16, yeah. and I was about to go into high school, and my class at Sacred Heart High School uh, in Miles City uh, was like 28, I think, and my high school class in uh, Fremont, California was either 400 or 600. It was hundreds. Culture shock? Or did you no, no. Did you like and, find your friends? Um, I did make friends with some some women that, well, girls then. Uh, no, I was okay. I heard my overheard my parents talking before they moved. They were most concerned about me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they would have asked me, I would have said, get me out of this cow town. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just didn't fit. I just didn't fit. I like classical right. music. I didn't exactly. like Western music. Now I like Western music, but I didn't then. And I didn't have a horse and I didn't, you know, yearn to have a horse. And 
And my parents didn't, you know, our, our, their goal was college education. So, mm-hmm. so we moved. Okay. Now, uh, I do want to ask, I know that your mother wanted you to like do the more traditional marriage thing from what I read in the book a little bit. Well, she Maybe went along with seriously, but she thought that getting a college education would help if we ever had to support ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, but I think she always thought that a husband should support the family. Uh, um, so, so yeah. she didn't oppose us going to college later on, uh, when I got married and had children and I had to work, uh, she was opposed. She didn't think I should have to do that. But, um, so yeah, she had a more traditional thinking. Did you feel that way or did you want to work? Uh, well, this is in my second book and the beginning I did not, I wanted to stay home with my children very much. Right. So, but I my husband, that. Uh, if you did you go to the end of the book, you know what happened in the end, I guess. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't ever know. Yeah, whether... It's a beautiful story. I it is. Lovely. I didn't realize it until I started writing it. Yeah. And um and and I didn't appreciate some of the well, for one thing, I didn't appreciate I didn't know what love was. And yeah. and I didn't realize how much my husband loved me that he would, you know, leave everything that he knew to mm-hmm. to come to the United States. And, uh, this, this next Wednesday, we're celebrating our 55th wedding anniversary. So it worked worked out. Kids have benefited too. Our our boys, we have two boys and uh, benefited too. And they help with the education system. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I being pregnant at the time, since you brought that up, I really, well, and I had never said I wanted to settle in Peru. I love the country. Uh, and since then, I've traveled to a lot of countries, Africa and uh, most of South America and all the Central American countries. And uh, it's really hard, I think, to raise educated children the way I wanted to raise my kids. Mm-hmm. They're lovely cultures and there's a lot. It's they're slower. Uh, mm-hmm. People are friendlier. It's a lot like where I grew up, except uh, people don't have work as, sometimes. And uh, so I, I think we made the right decision, but uh, my second book is called Love in Any Language, and it's a memoir of a cross-cultural marriage, and um, I just I just got the first uh, advanced copies of it. Oh, oh, nice cover. Nice. Yeah, I, I like it. Um, yeah. Anyway, that goes into, you know, it wasn't all peaches and cream. <laughs> yeah. No, then, well, life isn't, and that's why you don't appreciate it as much when you're living it. Well, and nobody would read either of the books if it was all just smooth sailing, I don't think. I mean, right, even right. Be- between Inca Walls, uh, I didn't realize, and I didn't even put in all the times that we had broken up and got together and broken up and got together. And <laughs> I was very critical of another girlfriend who seemed like she argued all the time with her boyfriend, and then she married him. Mm-hmm. And here, I-, I realized the other day, I did the same thing. I mean, it's yeah. part, part of it's getting to know, you know, being an individual and allow Um, but it took my marriage to allow my husband to be who he was yeah marrying someone does not make them part of you that's right (laughs) right and if you can partners not i think you've asserted your individuality (laughs) quite well (laughs) now my youngest son we just picked him up to the airport last night and he made a generalization about women oh that women need to be um you need to reassure them. I said, really, I don't know if that's true of all women, but I said, really, what everybody wants is respect. You just want yeah. your ideas to be heard. And it's less likely sometimes. For women. Um, I don't, I mean, it's getting better, but yeah. my, again, my second book is full of the hurdles of, of having a career in the early seventies when women weren't supposed to have careers, they were supposed to stay home and raise their kids. And um, I, I was in the education field, so I, it was pretty good for me, but yeah, still. at least your field was more female oriented. Yeah. <laughs> well, still, of course, not giving it the respect that financially that it should have gotten, that it should get. Yes, that's true. And I think parents have realized that during the pandemic, <laughs> it's, yeah. being a teacher isn't that easy. So I think we should talk a little bit about the Peace Corps. Yes, by uh, all means. Seems to be the uh, emphasis of your of your book, and um, so like it, it started with Kennedy, right? Uh, right, nineteen sixty one. I think in nineteen sixty he gave the speech at the University of Michigan, where he said, uh, uh, you know, he it was brought up. It was actually brought up by 
other people. And I think he was inspired because of travels where he had gone on travels and he saw there were volunteers from other groups. Mm-hmm. And so he was in, in favor of it, but it was his brother-in-law, Sergeant Shriver, who really made it the uh, agency that it is now. And they're just now this year with the pandemic, you know, they pulled 7,300 volunteers back from their countries, which really was devastating for them and for the people they were working with and all of that. And so they're taking the opportunity to kind of look at it and see, you know, I I think they want more buy-in from the countries that you go to than, than I had, certainly. Uh, I was supposed to be assigned to an agency that had requested volunteers and we were supposed to work on community development. And I just learned recently through a, a guy that was in my group and he did some research and he's bringing out his own book. I wish I could remember the name of it. And it's all about, there was some kind of political tension between Robert Kennedy and Johnson, which of course we knew, yeah. but Robert Kennedy went to a town near where I lived while I was there. I didn't go see him, but colleagues did. And uh, it was all a fight over funding this agency that I was supposed to be working with. And it did not get funded while I was there. After I left, it got funded. It was called Cooperación Popular. But all the time I was there, I thought, well, I'm supposed to be doing community development, which really wasn't very realistic. But, you know, in the 60s, it was mostly idealistic college graduates who went into the Peace Corps. It still is to a large extent. Very, you know, you have to kind of idealistic to just you know go or (laughs) or dodging the draft i think so (laughs) when i read your book i was well uh, did that give them a buy on the draft i yeah gave them a two-year leeway oh Oh, great interesting well good i'm glad but so i been reading your book though uh some of the some of the training and stuff that you went through was very rigorous well it was like outward bound they have outward bound programs that's what it Mm -hmm. was uh-huh. Um, and it was good for me because I, I learned to swim and, uh, learned, I probably wasn't going to be a rock climber. And I mean, been there, done that. And like, yeah, no, <laughs> at the time, I'm so glad I did it when I could do it. Right. <laughs> um, and there were a lot of things that they had us do that I couldn't attempt anymore. Right. And they don't, as shortly after I was trained, they stopped doing the training in Puerto Rico and they switched all the training to the countries that, that people uh, were going to go to and they hired people within the country, which made a lot of sense. In other words, mm-hmm. instead of- Tailored to where you are. Yeah, I, that now they go to Peru and they get trained in Peru and the language, you know, and then they're surrounded by the language and all of that. And uh, at the time I was in for, I'd say the first, I don't know, seven years, maybe they uh, used universities to do the training, U- universities that had a connection with, with the country that we were sent to. Mm-hmm. And so that was my case with, with Peru. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, that, that so the training um, though, what was, was exciting. I I mean, again, I wouldn't have gone to Puerto Rico, I don't think, had I not been sent there. Yeah, I think of the picture of you repelling down the side of a very steep cliff. You know? <laughs> Damn, yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah. So now, you hear Peace Corps, you think, oh, it's the Peace Corps. You know, it's yeah. like, but it, it was very, you don't think you know, about in, that in kind a lot of, of respects, it's, it's very, it's got a militaristic yeah. element. So. Well, um, we we kind of are we're our own agency mm-hmm. and we have a, that that took some doing politically to get it separated from they didn't want to be part of the state department a lot of the p- people in the countries we go to accuse us of being cia agents but mm-hmm. we're not i mean cia yeah. agents don't repel down dams that i know of yeah uh, well and, and uh but the language training was good i mean we had a lot of language training and um and then you form kind of a, a cadre of like-minded people i still am in touch with a lot of the people uh and i go to peace corps reunions and you know there's there there are let's see 280,000 returned peace corps volunteers in the united states i think yeah. And, uh, now, uh, being there at the very beginning, was there a feeling of development for you or did you feel it was fully developed program? Oh, no. And I still think they, they got better at having at least the regional directors know that the group was coming. When I got to Cusco, yeah. they didn't know our group was coming and they didn't have placements for us. 
And uh, that I don't think happens as much anymore. And it sounds to me uh, that a lot of the uh, uh, people that go in now are teaching in schools. Well, a lot of them, though, in Africa are out in isolated countries and uh, areas. Uh, we do a whole variety of things, including community development, but like helping people uh, learn IT and uh, whatever specialty we happen to have or can develop. I think it's the attitude of uh, American volunteers that were up for adventure and flexible. And kind so of we, the flexibility of idealism, maybe. Yeah, we try to fit in develop as time goes by as opposed to being a set situation well and we don't go in as tourists or uh people who think we're better than the people that we're living with we get to know the real people which is a real asset i mean the biggest thing that i've noticed on blogs and writings of peace corps people is how they learn that you really don't need a lot of material comfort in order Mm -hmm. to be satisfied no you don't and you don't go your goals when you get back usually aren't going after the almighty dollar and you know the richer you are the better person you are kind of a thing we're very they're very genuine people we also tend not to always be super organized i mean you go to a peace corps event and things happen spontaneously and yeah yeah. um, it's like there's a plan oh well i I like people like that myself yeah 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 they don't uh yeah and my wedding wedding was kind of like that (laughs) (laughs) and i loved it oh you talk about uh Uh you know the the complicity of the people one thing from your book that i remember is uh, when you were teaching the children at uh one of your first uh uh, locations they would help you with this language was it cheshwa quechua quechua Quechua. Uh And, and and it's students would actually be engaged at the point where they were translating for you to their fellow students uh, yes, uh, some of them knew Spanish and Quechua. The vast majority up in the mountains speak mostly Quechua. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in school, they're they're taught in Spanish, but you have to translate back and forth. And being a PE teacher, you know, I would have a whole group of kids on the playground. Mm-hmm. And when they didn't respond to what I said, you know, at first I, I was surprised. And then it turned out that they they didn't always understand what I was saying. And so, you know, I, there would be one or two kids often that, that did understand it. Or sometimes I think they, it was easier for them to pretend they didn't understand me and then they didn't have to follow <laughs> Exactly. Right, right. Well, and, and I personally find, I train um, other, my coworkers, mm-hmm. and um, I find that teaching cements my knowledge. Oh, yeah. So those kids are getting smarter. They're learning more. And I think it even, as they say, with language opens more pathways in your brain. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, I, you never know what kind of effect you've had on people with the Internet. Now, every once in a while, I have somebody say that they that I I taught them and and I don't remember who they were because now they're adults. Well, so many. Yeah. yeah, this happened in Mexico too. You know, the yeah. part of the first part of the book was where I went down and helped start a school and a library, mm-hmm. and then we had a fifty-year reunion for that group too, Amigos Anonymous. And grown women came up to me. I I did a scrapbook. I used to be into scrapbooking, so I had a whole scrapbook, and I had a list of the first students in our school, and here they were, adults, and and I was reading their names and showing their pictures and um. And yeah, that it's it's kind of exciting. It has to, to be an amazing feeling. Uh, it is. I mean, I some of them were still fairly poor because some of them were asking me for well, money. But, oh, mm. you know, but but um, and, and really, yeah. It's it, but it is exciting to see that they're grown up and that they've survived. You know, we did yeah. a, a survey in the Altiplano up in the mountains of Peru. We did it with a Catholic priest who was doing a a, a study. And we would interview the parents about the number of kids they had and mm-hmm. over half die before age five. Mm-hmm. You can imagine if we had a 50% yeah. rate of all the kids. And it's just simply the, the you know, they don't have uh, medical care and, uh, I don't, you know, it's, it's, and they don't have always good eating. Although, you know, they grow quinoa. That's where I first learned about quinoa was, was mm-hmm. in, in Peru. Huh. Oh, okay. Oh, that's uh, that's sober. Not a, not my husband's favorite grain. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, we're we're on a special diet now. No quinoa for us. So 
anyway. Uh, we're on uh, keto ourselves. Well, ours is somewhat like a keto. It's Dr. Gundry's plan of uh, plants, yeah. mostly plant food. And, and uh, but I, I, it's nice that there's so many people on keto because I can go find things that I can use. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so the title of your book is Between Inca Walls. And you did talk about the walls literally talked about the walls not having mortar in them mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. Uh, so did, did, what about the engineering of those walls <laughs> I mean well, they're very impressive very impressive and to this day there is no definitive uh, proof of how they were able to f- form those walls I, I every time I hear something on tv about it uh, there are various theories as to how they could have done that, but they did it with both limestone, which is a softer stone, and granite, which is a harder stone. And mm-hmm. you'll find walls made of both of those materials, and so they smart. fit the same. Mm-hmm. So, and they didn't have metal tools, mm-hmm. so um, they can tell you where they got the the stones for the walls. Mm-hmm. And pretty much, they I guess they drug them using a series of. Um, uh, tree stuff, yeah, you know, uh, but how they ca- carve them, and you can't even say carved since they didn't have metal tools. How they got to be that shape has I have not seen any definitive proof of how they have, but they're very uh, impressive because they some of them have like sixteen. I think they've now even found some with twenty-one different corners that that they all fit together like a jigsaw puzzle, mm-hmm. and they don't come down in the earthquakes. Now, when the Incas were there, I suppose there must have been earthquakes, and that's maybe why they yeah. decided to build such strong walls. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's really impressive to to see them, and they have streets, uh, you know, in Cusco that are streets of well, that's with the one on the cover. It was kind of neat. I was working with my publisher, and we couldn't agree on a cover, mm-hmm. and I discovered this on a place where you can I think it's a Getty image or something and so she agreed to that one and when I showed my husband what was going to be on the cover he said oh yeah that's such and such a street he one oh, street. Wow. He, he's from there Isn't and he it? recognized it right away mm-hmm. um, and um, so yeah uh, we we were going to call it that my editor wanted to uh, my publisher wanted to call it uh, on a winding mountain road and yeah. I said well that could be any place uh-huh. And we, I did have a, I have lots of pictures of winding mountain roads or yeah. lots of winding mountain roads there. And that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I came up with this one and um, yeah, it just seemed to fit. And yeah. it does indicate that it happens in Peru for a while, quite a while. It was number one on Amazon under Peru travel. And I was surprised that, that it would, you know, be under that category, but it does describe a lot of the countryside and Well, a winding mountain road is kind of a winding mountain title. So I like Between Inca Walls better. Yeah, (laughs) I do too. You know, (laughs) I could never remember the name of it. I thought, oh, you know, that's not good if I can't remember the name of my own book. I have no trouble remembering this one. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like a, I guess you could call it a travelogue with an emotional bend. So yeah, it's it's not dry at all. No, it's yeah, very, very, very it's very moving, very interesting. I like the way you 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 bring you you pull your your childhood experience with the mountain streams um, mm-hmm. all the way into the end. But it's there throughout. It's like a, a thread. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I intended to ask you a little bit more about uh, Montana and and. and western you know west because lisa mm-hmm. and i you know that's as foreign to us as peru would be oh know, really and well, we've never yeah, been out west we've never seen it we've traveled in the midwest in the we've traveled in <laughs> the east because uh philip is somewhat of a history file yeah um mm-hmm. so we've gone to fit places like appomattox courthouse and um wilmington bahamas um, we've been to yeah bahamas. well yeah <laughs> but how much do you think uh, uh-huh. that uh, kind of wild, it wasn't wild to you, it was very, it's very common to you, I guess, but yeah. how much uh, do you feel like that that period of your life kind of sparked your interest in travel and ex- you know, adventure? Well, what it sparked my interest is when my parents took us um, to visit relatives on the West Coast, and I saw mountains for the first time, and I saw the ocean for the first time. And so after that, you couldn't keep me down on the farm. I, I, I yeah. But before that, I mean, as, as you know, as a child, 
you just accept whatever is there. That's what's normal. You think that's right. what the world is. The world is just where you are. Right. Um, and I did like to going up into the hills and do some uh, exploring, but my mother was always very protective and there are rattlesnakes in the hills in Montana. And um, she, what I, I read to her the opening of my book where I am six years old and I go through the barbed wire fence to go see where the water is coming from that goes across the bridge in front of the school. And when I read that to my mother, she said, I didn't know you did that. I said, mom, there's a lot, you know, that I didn't do. <laughs> right. well, and, yeah, I mean, when she sent you to ranches to work, no, uh, I do want to know, did you stay on those ranches while yeah, you were working? Yeah, six days a week, working okay. all day long. Yeah. So how and, did you know what you were doing? How did I know what I was how doing? How did she know what you were doing? Oh, well, because she knew the people that I was working for. Ah, okay. And they, I got so homesick the first few years I did that, that they would have to come out and visit me in the middle of the week to keep me going. Now, interestingly oh. enough, I have a sister two and a half years younger and she worked this in the same places and loved it. Yeah, I, she doesn't even remember getting homesick. I don't know what makes the difference. I really don't. Mm -hmm. But um, she pointed out the other day, and this is not in the book, that when she was born, I was two and a half. Uh, it was the day, and you wouldn't know this unless somebody told you this, where they would keep women in the hospital for like a couple of weeks, yeah. which I think the women liked because then they didn't have to cook and clean. Oh, so yeah. it was, yeah, and especially well. if they already had a couple of yeah. kids at home. Well, she farmed me out. I was the first child and she had me stay with somebody else. And when she came back from the hospital, I wouldn't have anything to do with her. Wouldn't have anything to do with her. And so now my sister and I think, well, maybe that was the beginning of my emancipation at two and a half. Yeah. Because I pretty much always, you know, my parents were supportive. They always wanted us to get good grades. They didn't want us to smoke or drink and mm -hmm. or swear or any of that right. stuff. So, and, you know, and do all the Catholic stuff. Uh, but my mother had five kids within 11 years. So she was pretty busy. So I don't think she knew a lot of what I wanted to do. I mean, she, she taught us sewing and cooking and all the things that mothers are supposed to do. Um, but when I went up to, to the, she said to me, I, uh, how did you do that? I mean, she would never have guessed that I did that. And I don't think I came back and said, oh, mom, I found, you know, the beginning of the water that runs through the bridge. It was just something I did. Um, and I, I wasn't super adventuresome. I, I actually, my adventures came a lot through the radio. We didn't get television until 58, 57. And I, I was, um, 12, 13, I was pretty old by then. And we only got one or two stations and they were black and white and they were a lot of, you know, snow on, you know, static and stuff. They right. weren't very good and not very good programs. So I read a lot mm -hmm. and, and they had movies every Sunday in the, in the um, auditorium of the school. And I always went to those. Sometimes I'd be walking home late at night by myself. I remember being kind of frightened of that. Huh. And so I think all the experiences I had, well, and then my father wanted me to go to a Catholic high school. So he sent me away and I lived away from them during the week. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think I got to know myself fairly well. Mm -hmm. And then after that, just kind of did what I liked to do, which was get to know whatever part of the world I could. Now, so, do, you, uh, do you, your other siblings have wanderlust or are most of them? Not as much. Life? No, no, I wouldn't call them. No, I could count on one hand the number of countries they've been to. I have a sister, the third in line, who mm -hmm. goes on a lot of cruises since she's uh, she lives in Santa Fe and she would go on a couple cruises and she's gotten to quite a few com uh, countries that way. But um, and my youngest brother mm -hmm. is a full-time professor at the University of uh, Veracruz in Jalapa, Mexico. He's mm -hmm. married to a Mexican woman. Mm -hmm. And um, so he's lived there for, I don't know, close to 20 years now. And he traveled a lot. Yeah. I, I, I tease him. I say, you know, you and I have a lot in common. Uh, we both married uh, Latin uh, partners and we've traveled a lot. We both got our PhDs or our doctorates. And uh, uh, but he's uh, 18 years younger than I am. So, um, oh, that's know. a big difference. Yeah. I, uh, uh, Philip has a sister who was 14 when he was born. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, well, yeah. Why don't we take the break for our sponsor here? And okay. when we get back, maybe we'll talk a little bit okay. about Antonio. Okay. Okay. And this is just a recording break. Yeah. So did okay. you want to yeah. use this for a bio break? 
No, okay. I'm fine. Right. Oh, okay, so you just yeah. do you yeah. need to take a moment? No, no, okay. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, so we'll resume here. It it, it it helps to intro the promo before you know. Otherwise, you got to like try to pick a spot to stick it in. <laughs> so yeah. tell me when we're recording again. Okay. okay. I mean, the recording continues, so you know. Oh, oh you just uh, you know you edit it. You, you yes. edit. Yes. Oh, oh, oh okay. That just kind of gives us the break point, and then um, when we come back, we'll announce that we're back. Okay, so let's. It's just a couple moments. Let's go ahead and come back. Okay. Three, okay. two, one. Hi, welcome back to Yeah, Uh-huh. This week we're talking to Evelyn Colatore about Between Inca Walls, a Peace Corps memoir. And we've also got some great hints that there are future books, which we are going to be able to enjoy. So thank you for that. And welcome back. So, so not only are you uh, immersed or have been, uh, you know, uh, involved in Peruvian culture through the Peace Corps and and the world traveler and everything but uh, you've actually brought it yeah you brought it even closer to home you've uh, you married a man that goes by the pseudonym of Antonio mm-hmm. is that correct yeah right 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 um, yeah. so tell us a little bit about how that romance developed and well because the Peace Corps didn't have a place for us, and they sent us out to really very remote mountain places that were beautiful and could have probably used our help. And I cover that in the book where we thought mm-hmm. um, I, I teamed up with Marie, who I hadn't really known that well, because we were the only ones that weren't placed after a month. Okay. And um, and we both visited this really remote place, and we were going to raise chickens high in the Altiplano. And we were invited for lunch and the people happened to mention something about during the winter when it rains you can't even get down the path and we had taken like I think it took an hour and a half by horseback or walk well by horseback to to get up there and we we didn't know how we would get our bed frame through the narrow passages and uh and then the fact that you you we'd have to well, our worry was what if one of us had an appendicitis attack or had some illness? And then there was a rule that the Peace Corps isn't supposed to, you're not supposed to be more than eight hours away from medical help. And this would have been longer than that because it, it, yeah. it, the book covers the ordeal to get there. Right. But we came back to Cusco and we were starting to gather our things. And we ran into a Peace Corps volunteer who was about to leave. He had finished his two years. He said, well, there's this man in town, Adolfo Aguilos, who's been asking for volunteers for the last two years. Mm-hmm. And I saw him in town. I said, oh, well, uh, introduce us to us. So he he, he did. Uh-huh. And it turned out that that he Adolfo was my future father-in-law. I didn't know it at the time, oh, wow. but he <clears throat> described this beautiful town in the valley of Shangri-La. I mean, it, it sounded temperate climate. It wasn't Cusco's at 12,000 feet. And although when I was young, I could, you know, get up and down the, the hills of Cusco or the mountaintops then, but uh, you know, uh, I, I wanted it was nice that Abankai, where I ended up, was at 7,500 feet. So uh, we asked the regional director if we could go there instead. And he said, well, uh, why don't you go out and take a look at it? And both Marie and I said, we don't need to take a look at it. We just know it's better. It's got to be better. Yeah. And then um, we were we had to come back into Cusco from Abankai every few months for they Pisco gives you lots of shots gamma globulin so you don't you know get all these diseases and stuff and um so we were back in cusco and ran into senor aguilus who lived in our town but we were surprised to see him in cusco and he said oh he was there to pick up his son his 19 year old son well i was 21 at the time and i thought oh that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of young but it turned out he was my same age (laughs) And uh, I think we were, by the time I met him, we were both 22 and uh, very handsome, but he is a very private person. So he would not let me put any pictures in either of my books of him. It killed me. There are some on Facebook. If you friend me on Facebook, there's a, and and if you go to Evelyn Colatori author, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a real nice one of us uh, feeding each other champagne after our wedding. And that's a nice picture of him. He didn't say he never goes on Facebook. So I don't, and it's yeah. a side view, it's a side view. So I, but I, in order to publish the book, I, I wanted 
honor his his thinking. He's just a very private person. That's okay. There's another, oh, there are ever so many pictures that are are of him and I would have liked to put in. And then I said, well, what if I'm out if I change your name? And he was okay with that. And it it fits because our oldest son is named Tony and was named after his father. Um, but, um, but that, that's kind of a, a different story, but anyway, um, so, so the senior Aguilus got us to Abankai and then we thought we were going to work in kindergarten and we went to see, and their, their schools had perfectly good teachers. We did not want to replace people that were doing the job. And then because we were trained in community development, we said, well, we really are supposed to work with poorer people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's how we ended up in the schools and with the girls clubs out of town. They were one to two miles out of town. We did keep training, thinking we were going to go to uh, work with a community up in the Altiplano, which is the top of the mountains. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, we, they were supposed to move down closer to the road so they could have schools and medical ha- help and all that. Mm-hmm. So we trained in a hospital for about four months, which was a real interesting experience. Um, but, but all my, you know, I, I, you know, I think I mention in there quite often when people will get selected out of the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. And I think less of that happens today, because I think they just do a better job in picking who can right. manage. Can it. Because some, it's funny, because a lot of people read my book and think, oh, you were so happy to have a nine by 12 foot a room to live in and we were because it had a cement floor it didn't have a dirt floor like a lot of our friends had and um so you know you you learn to deal with what you're given and be grateful for for what you have and that yeah and i think that's still true to a lot a large extent yeah you have to be the kind of person who can find the joy i know um you talk about how we don't travel much one of the reasons why we don't travel is um philip does not have a joy of travel and I get so motion sick Oh, that it's, it's ridiculous. I can't even sleep in a waterbed. Oh. Well, I don't like flying and I don't like driving. If yeah. I could just teleport somewhere, I would be fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, with the pandemic, you're well positioned. Because... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we, we did just fine during the pandemic. Uh, we're older, so we, you know, not traveling. I, I, I said to my husband, I said, we've been every place we want to go. There's no, no place yeah. left that we, uh, but we do go back to places that we love. We spent, we've right. lived in Italy for a year we go back to Peru oh, quite often and, and no, it, no I assume there's still family there in Peru. Yes. Yes. All his siblings live in, in Peru. And, and, and now of course with phones, uh, cell phones, we, we talk to them more often than I ever got to talk to my parents when I lived there 60 years ago, 50 years ago. 55. Do you think that would have been easier or harder on you if you had had more close contact with your parents? interesting question i i don't know i i know the few times uh there were catholic priests that were uh in a lot of these towns sent by marinoles and various groups and uh they had uh ham radios Mm -hmm. so i could actually contact my mother when she was at work with the police department Mm -hmm. and i remember feeling so disappointed when she couldn't talk to me or didn't seem interested in talking to me. The truth of the matter is nobody really can relate that much to what your experience has been. A lot of Peace Corps people come back and, and unlike today, they're, they're not that interested in, you know, how, how was it with you and the Peace Corps? They're into their own lives. And and interestingly enough, this book that I wrote and dedicated to my sons, neither one has read it. Neither one has read it. I mean, they're just of a different generation I figure maybe when I'm gone, they'll read it or, but I yeah. don't know. They, they're just into their own things. They will at some point. They're busy now. Is it on audiobook? Is it an audio? No, book? no, there's not an audiobook. Audiobooks are expensive to produce. Yeah. And um, I, I haven't decided whether it would sell enough to, I mean, you, you don't write. I know books. I would buy it. Hmm? I'm, I'm very much into audiobooks because I can listen to them while I work. Oh, okay. Because I do a data entry type job um in in the majority and i've been doing it for 30 years so i can i can bifurcate that way um so a lot of the books that i read are that way it was actually a little bit more difficult for me to get through get finished with your book simply because i had to find the time to read it on paper 
Uh, okay, that's that's um, good to know. I I, yeah. I might I might make an audio book of it. And so just so you're aware. Yeah, no, a lot of my uh-huh. a lot of my colleagues that that have published with She Writes Press have done audio books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm waiting to see. Nobody that I know of has made their money back and has been fairly expensive, oh. several thousand dollars, because you hire a narrator and yeah. sound person and, and and all of those things. So. I can, I can well, understand that. Our, our how would you feel about podcast. doing your own narration? <laughs> I don't know. I, actually, a lot of the studios that do the audiobooks, they do test you. You, you audition for your own book. Yeah. And if you think you have a strong enough voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I could give it the inflection for my book launch, which is uh, if you go to YouTube, my, my book launch is there. I had an actress friend read excerpts from we my book. We actually watched that. Oh, you did? Yes. Well, see now. Did she some research. <laughs> okay. Just a little. Well, she actually uh, put so much more life into it yeah. than I think I would. So I think I would, would want somebody else to, to read it. I, I'm really not. 100% sure. Yeah. Uh, there have been a couple of uh, places. Well, my own publisher, they are doing some audiobooks, but they didn't choose mine to do that with. They may in the future. And then there was another group that said, are you up for an audiobook? And I guess they would do it. And, uh, you know, but, but they haven't re- contacted me again. But thanks for bringing it up. Because I do I used when I commuted an hour each way, I used to listen to audiobooks, but I'm retired now and I do not listen. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts either. I just, yeah. um, I just, it's just not a habit of mine. And and I do get people that say, oh, they listen exclusively to podcasts. So right. that, that's a consideration. The other thing yeah. I would love is to have it translated into Spanish, but there again, it's very expensive to translate books huh. and same meaning, the same feeling, you know, right. take more than just translating each word so i think the podcast boom has really taken over since the pandemic yeah Um, yeah yeah, it's like um people are not kept there's some people that i don't feel like they've kept they've caught up to that but in some in some demographics it's really skyrocketed especially with wireless uh earbuds and stuff like that people can walk around and uh, multi-function while they're listening to podcasts but then other demographics I think are mm-hmm. slower to come around to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't have time. I've never thought about doing that or, but yeah. I've become, and I only say that because myself, I've become immersed in it. You know, I've got, yeah. I, I listen to podcasts all the time and it's only yeah. happened over the last year or so. Well, there's so many, I don't know how you choose from them all. I mean, I yeah. guess. Well, he leans towards the true crime. True crime. Oh, but yeah, and music. I lean towards, uh, I, well, I kind of almost introduced him to it because I started listening to some uh, weird science uh, type podcasts. Like, you know, uh, for instance, there was this um, podcast that it started, it, it was called um, Dead Ducks in Switzerland. And I was like, that was the name of the podcast. And it was just this odd science situations where these deceased birds were, um, they would run up against these windows and they would die. But the other birds would still find them attractive. <laughs> what? So, yeah. Uh, um, so necrophilia. Oh, no. no, no. <laughs> so it was just kind of like, whoa, I have to hear about that. And then I continued listening to that podcast until I found audible.com, where my love of science fiction has been truly, um, uh, um, what do you, you want to say? Exacerbated? I wouldn't say exacerbated. <laughs> um, I would say uh, 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 honored. Okay. Well, do you walk around the house with earphones listening to podcasts or wow um it, there's a combination it we also i have alexa i'll put it in one ear he, works the other one work. oh, he right. is brick and mortar and i am work at home so i just turn my audible or my podcast on on alexa and i can walk through the whole house if i'm mm-hmm. on break if i'm in the you know facilities then we have our own podcast where we actually right. talk to one another so yeah it all works out <laughs> <laughs> so. yes. 
Yeah, well, we have had more in-depth conversations since podcasts. Well, I should say I love music podcasts. I love uh-huh. podcasts about rock and roll. You know, yeah. there's one called um, "Get Your Rocks Off." It's all about huh. you know hard rock bands from the '70s, and yeah. it's hosted by a writer that uh, that actually yeah. engaged these people. And, and then there's uh, rock and roll archaeology. You yeah, there's a whole too, pantheon right? thing. I'm, I'm giving them a plug here because I love all yeah. those. But uh-huh. anyway, let's um, let's, let's go back. Let's go to a, a, let me. Okay. There's one question that I'm particularly interested in. Um, do you feel in any way that had you started the Amigos with a co-ed group, would you have been as open to Latin men? Do you think it would have changed your life? Or do you, you know, think you'd have ended up where you are because it was where you were meant to be? Um you know, that's very interesting. Nobody's ever asked that before, and I haven't really thought a lot about it, but a lot of amigos did marry either uh, Mexican as a couple that married Mexican women mm-hmm. uh, or they married one another. That happened. They met and they had similar interests. I don't think I was ready. And I've always, I mean, I, at first I thought, well, I hadn't had a lot of experience because I went to an all women's college. Right. And then I started making a list of all the guys I had dated. And I thought I did have a lot of experience. I mean, I had plenty of opportunity to to meet Anglo men. I think, and I'm going to generalize, <clears throat> it was 50 some years ago or whatever. I went to college 60 to 64. And I, I could never, re- I never, there was never a spark partly because they were so guarded with their emotions. You know, you don't talk about emotions or in that time you didn't. I think right. my sons are a lot more honest with uh, everything. Yeah. But at that time, um, I just never connected with anybody nice enough guys. I mean, then they wanted to continue dating. I think I might've been too, um, oh, what do I say? Too forceful. You know, Kirkus mm-hmm. Review, on on the books uh, gave me a review that said uh, something like she's uh, forthright, bold, uh, candid, determined. Uh, I like those words. And I think I was too strong for a lot of guys. For example, one guy who was eventually went on to get his PhD and became a professor and um, nice guy. Um, He didn't have a car. So I said, well, I have a car. I'll pick you up. And so I go pick him up and then we would go on dates. And then I remember one day we were going to supposed to go uh, sk- uh, skating, ice skating. Uh-huh. And I just didn't feel like going. So I made some excuse or something like that. And I blew him off. This is after several months of dating. I just blew him off. I didn't realize I did that. My sister happened to be friends of the woman he ended up marrying. She said, she is so much like you, Evelyn. Uh-huh. <laughs> So that could have been me, but I either wasn't ready and I just found the the dark hair, dark eyes, and they, you know, were always coming on to you, but you know, you knew I knew enough not to to believe half of it. But half of it kind of was true, you know. They they were attracted to me in a different way than mm-hmm. the Anglo guys. And so by the time, well, my husband says I was just ripe. You know, by 21, yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I, I was I was ready. Uh, I, I really wasn't because I still planned I was going to go travel. I mean, I was very much my own person. And, you know, maybe what I'll do is I'll have the second book done as an audio book. And then you can <laughs> read that one because <laughs> it very much shows how I continued my forthright, candid, determined ways, even mm-hmm. though I was pregnant and married, because that's just the way I had always been. and um, he was patient enough Mm -hmm. he was learning he had to learn he had to learn how to be in the United States he didn't know English he didn't have a skill he had to finish college and um, so so somehow we we made it through to today and uh, so that's an interesting question though and that takes determination yeah I mean because the Amigos guys uh, I still, I did have a crush on several of them, but they didn't know I existed. So, um, and then I don't know if you remember how I actually got to Peru is I had a crush on this one guy, Tom, and I used to go to uh, Central Valley in California and work with Cesar Chavez, where we were taking a, a census among the migrant workers. Uh-huh. And uh, there was a priest that was in charge there. And one one weekend I went And I said, well, where's Tom? And he said, oh, he went into the Peace Corps and he's in Peru. Mm -hmm. So when they asked me where I wanted to go 
in the Peace Corps, I said, Peru. Mm-hmm. So I did encounter Tom there when I got to Lima. He was stationed. He wasn't in the in the Altiplano. He wished he was. And his hair had all curled up. And he, you know, he didn't look the same. And I made the mistake. I, I saw one of the first days I was in Peru and I hadn't changed my money. And so he had to pay for our lunch. And that's with Peace Corps people, you each pay your own way. Yeah. And so that we didn't get off to a really good start. I since have tracked him down. He's on my LinkedIn and he's married, lives in the North with two girls. And so, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I did well. You know what? I did well on my own. I am better off in a lot of ways than had I, you know, not done what I did. <laughs> I, I will say this much with ending up with whom you're supposed to be with. I, I had dated. I was 27 or 26, I guess, when uh, my husband, when Philip and I met. And um, I had dated, not a lot. But, you know, enough to know what I liked and what I didn't. And the first time I saw him, I backed up and I, I was like, <gasps> and then I backed up and I went into another room and he, he had started working where I worked as a temp. And I looked at my coworker and I said, who is that? She said, who's who? That man in, in there, the one I'm going to marry. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> and what is it, 26 years later? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, our 27th anniversary is January. What I did was I stalked him quietly for a month. We didn't even actually physically get introduced for almost a solid month. So we got to, uh, that was almost a month. Um, and then I had to train him. And fortunately, the day that I was training him, I was wearing a come hither outfit, apparently, as far as he was concerned. It had kind of a scoop neck and, yeah. uh, and I had on these basically what I call sensible shoes, which he called um, like punk girl shoes. She had, she, kept, she, so, she had a very punk rock vibe yeah. to her kind of. Oh, yeah, we, we enjoyed it. And, yeah. uh, and then we didn't actually see each other for like another whole month. And uh, then I started working the same shift as him. He had transferred to uh, third shift in September. I transferred to third shift around my birthday in October. So I turned 27. Um, And then um, he asked me out at the beginning of November for the first time. We went out on a date on December 8th. It took a while because of scheduling and where we lived. Um, community wise and and hours wise because we were on different days even though we were on the same shift so we still spent quite a bit of time together in the at in the at at work yeah Uh, long before you decided to marry well uh, that's the story (laughs) um on december 8th we had our first date and i like to joke that he'll be going home any day now (laughs) (laughs) and we got married three weeks later yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. But I mean, you've known each other for a few months. Yeah. And I mean, and, and I'm the kind of person when I know it's right, it's right. And obviously, it's worked out. It has worked out. I mean, you know, there's no there's no end in sight. Well, <laughs> of course, unless, of course, one night I decide to hold the pillow over his face until he stops struggling. Uh, but I'm sure you understand that. I'm glad that's recorded. <laughs> well, I bet you're one of the only couples that does a podcast together, right? I don't know. There's I, not a lot. There's not a lot, but there are some. Yeah. yeah there are some. Uh-huh. There's a couple of, uh, there's a, at least one couple that I know that uh, Philip listens to yeah. on a regular basis, but, or at least he used to, but, the, but like not the subject that he's into. No. Yeah. Most so, of those are guys who are uh, doing podcasts with their friends. Yeah. Well, we've, but, yeah. we've done about an hour here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you have enough? <laughs> so, are yeah. there are there any questions? I always ask, are there any questions we didn't ask you that you thought we would? Or that Oh well, can I just say that if people want to read the book, if they want to read about a coming of age story that happens in Peru and learn about the Peace Corps and falling in love and uh and you know, exciting things like that. Um that they could go to my website, which is www.evelynlatori.com. And that is Philip's last question, usually. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. your book. Yeah. But no, no, that's great. It's on, it's on yeah, Amazon absolutely. too. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and actually I ask people to ask their libraries to, to, to have it. Cause I know my library here has three copies of it. And yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and then, 
Look for the uh, one in uh, September 28th, Love in Any Language comes out. And you don't have to have read the first book, but it I think it'll mean more if if people read the first book so they see how we got together because the second book is is how we've lasted for 55 years and it it, it wasn't easy and and uh, you can see the growth from you know somebody who was headstrong to somebody who learns to compromise and mm-hmm. and things like that um is that about and, you or Antonio <laughs> well both we we both yeah I mean I I had to change quite a bit and um and he did too. He did too. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, it's so hard to see how you're seen by other people. But when you write about yourself, it's, it's like therapy, you you go into your your motivations, you can see a lot more. I and I, think I might take your advice, at least with the second one, mm-hmm. and, and, and inquire about having it recorded doing an audible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know enough women now that have done it, and they're glad they did it. They did it usually so that they came, the books came out at the same time. And I still have time to do that with my second one. Yeah. Um, just got to, you got to pursue yeah. that. Well, this is some so. good advice there. We, we, you know, mm-hmm. Once we get our library card renewed, we'll go ahead and see if maybe they can get a copy put into the, the greater Cincinnati oh, library. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it is actually the uh, first organized library system um, in the United States outside of the East Coast. And we're starting to get more so, authors. On. One of so the biggest we'll, as well. Maybe, maybe we'll make yeah. that a routine. Mm-hmm. But I think let's go ahead and wrap it up so okay. we have something to talk about next time. Yeah. That we have Evelyn. Yeah. And we look forward to having you on um, with your new book if, if you'd like. And yeah, uh, we'd love the after, to with you after. in our bullying episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so after September is when the second book comes out. So yeah, that that, that would be great. All so right. good luck with your podcasting. I hope you get lots of listeners and it looks Thank like you you're really enjoying it. And Yeah, we are enjoying it. Thank yeah. you very much, Evelyn. You have a good day. Okay, okay you too. Okay, bye. bye. Hey, listeners, it's Lisa and Phil from Yeah, Uh-Huh. How are we doing? We love feedback. Please use our socials to let us know what you think. We have socials. Twitter. Yeah, Uh-Huh Pod. Instagram. Yeah, Uh-Huh Pod. Facebook. Yeah, Uh-Huh Pod. Notice, Notice the a pattern? pattern? Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week.